Today's episode of Happy, Sad, Confused is sponsored by Howl.fm. It's like Netflix for podcasts. With Howl Premium, you get exclusive access to a brand new Howl original dramatic miniseries called Fruit. The series tells the story of an African-American professional football player who struggles with his sexuality. Fruit is written and directed by Issa Rae, who is best known as the creator of the critically acclaimed web series Awkward Black Girl. She also writes and stars in the upcoming HBO comedy Insecure. The first episode of Fruit debuted February 3rd, and a new episode premieres every week. You can hear this provocative drama only with How Premium, where you also get exclusive access to more than 120 hours of original miniseries and audio documentaries, plus dozens of comedy albums. New episodes and albums are released every single week, plus you get all the archives of WTF with Mark Marin and all Earwolf and Wolf Pop shows like Happy, Sad, Confused. Get access to all this exclusive content on your iPhone, your Android phone, and on the web for only $4.99 a month. And with the promo code HAPPY, you get a full month of free trial. To redeem your promo code, make sure you create your account on the web at howl.fm and enter the code HAPPY at checkout. Remember to hear the new Howl original drama Fruit, along with dozens of original audio miniseries, go to howl.fm. That's H-O-W-L dot F-M and use the promo code HAPPY to get your one month free trial right now. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Happy Second Fused. I'm Josh Horowitz. This is my podcast. I am here to welcome you to 45 minutes, 50-ish minutes of the lovely, the talented Gillian Jacobs. Gillian is, of course, uh, one of the stars of Community, one of the stars of Girls, one of the stars of a new series on Netflix called Love. Uh, we talk a bunch about this new show that I'm... Um, I'm a big fan of. I, w- I watched a bunch of episodes just yesterday. Uh, they were kind enough to send me um, an early sneak peek. It's coming on Netflix, I believe, February 19th. And I watched the first five episodes. And it's great. It's produced by Judd Apatow. It stars Paul Rust and Gillian um, as kind of uh, two semi-screwed-up folks who may or may not be falling for each other. Um, it's uh, it's refreshing. It's funny. It's uh, it's definitely worth your time. Highly recommended. We get into that and much more. I should say uh, it's just me by my lonesome in the intro today. Uh, Sammy has abandoned me for uh, another coast. Joel's not around, so it's just little old me telling you about my podcast. Um, what else to tell you about? Um, I will tease because I did it anyway in the. Uh, in the course of the conversation with Gillian, she rested it out of me. I'm very excited. Next week, we're having uh, Michael Mann on the show. Michael Mann, the great filmmaker, um, is currently being celebrated here um, in New York at BAM with a uh, retrospective of all his films. So if you are a film geek like myself, if you appreciate great masters, auteurs, um, that certainly is Michael Mann. So unless some strange fate befalls me, if uh, if a... uh, uh, an act of God prevents me from talking to him. Uh, look forward to that on next week's edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Uh, lots of cool stuff coming up. We're, um, you know, we're, we've we've made it out of January, guys. Congratulations on getting through January. It is kind of a feat for um, folks uh, that appreciate great films to get out of January because that is, frankly, where horrible films live. At least, if you look at the release schedule, you can you can figure it out by January releases. You can see what they're dumping. But um, the good news is, look, we, we're in February. That means we've got 
got actually decent movies coming out. We have a Cone Brothers movie coming out, which I'm going to see hopefully very soon. We have a Zoolander sequel, which I'm seeing tonight. I cannot wait to see uh, a new Zoolander movie. I have high hopes for that one. Um, and uh, and Deadpool is coming out. I've seen Deadpool. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about it. I, I'll, I'll speak about it in vague terms. Um, Deadpool uh, is – how can I speak about it in vague terms? It's good. Okay. I broke the embargo. It's good. It's uh, I think if you have liked the trailers and if you've been itching for like an R-rated um, different kind of superhero film, that's the one for you. Um, I'm actually going to be – if you're listening to this on um, on – Monday or Tuesday, February 8th or 9th, February 9th, I'm going to be doing a Q&A with Ryan Reynolds and TJ Miller and Marina Baccarin uh, and Ed Skeen, Screen? Ed Screen, yeah, um, for the cast members from Deadpool at the Apple Store in New York City, Soho Apple Store, 6.30 p.m., February 9th. Uh, come by and see me talking to Deadpool himself uh, and uh, – crazy tj miller he was going to take over the conversation in the best possible way um so yeah lots coming up guys i hope you enjoy uh this conversation with gillian uh yes it's gillian not jillian we don't get into why but just accept it okay um she's uh super charming super smart she has uh we talk about her filmmaking now. She's just directed a new film called The Queen of Code, a short doc that you should check out um, on 538.com. Um, and she's someone that um, we talk about this a little bit. I mean, I, I haven't actually interviewed her that much or done that much with her over the years, but I feel like we've always gotten along from the start and, and both kind of at early points in our career, we chatted, and I remember enjoying her company, and hopefully vice versa. Um, back in Sundance for Choke, which was an early film she did, directed by the great Clark Gregg. So um, we reminisce about that and a great many other things, and talk about geek out about filmmakers and um, struggles and triumphs and all that fun stuff uh, in this fun little conversation with Gillian Jacobs. Check it out! Here it comes. I'm gonna stop talking. Uh, I can't believe it. Gillian Jacobs is in my office, guys. I'm so, so excited. excited to finally be here. I was saying to you and to your publicist, I feel like like you're one of these people that I feel like I've done more interviews and done more stuff with than I actually have. Uh-huh. Like, I feel like we've talked about doing stuff and yeah. just it hasn't happened. And I felt like the first time we met was very memorable, at least for me. So very special. I feel a connection to you. Good, good. Even but though we don't see each other that often. We'll see if we can destroy that connection here today. <laughs> um, no, it's good to see you. And it's, uh, I was saying before, I, I feel like I, yesterday I spent like a day, your voice was in my head a lot yesterday. I listen to a few podcasts. You've probably done more podcasts than I've done. Really? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you're a vet. What did you listen to? Um, Janet Varney's. From oh, Ephraim. yeah. Uh, some old ones. Okay. Some older ones. You went back in the vault. Uh, yeah, the vault. Um, so you might be a changed uh, woman now. <laughs> but, uh, and then I watched five episodes of your show, which is really great. Thank you so much. The show is love. It's a... Uh, that's not how I'm expressing love for it. It's literally called love <laughs> and uh, shows a love. It's just made of love. <laughs> uh, you got some amazing folks behind the camera, mm -hmm. including, well, Paul Rust is on camera and behind the camera um, as one of the co-creators and, and Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow, not bad. Not, not a bad uh, gig if you mm -hmm. can get it. Yeah. Um, 
thank you for being here on this snowy day in New York. I know you're in New York. You're, do you feel like you're, part of you is still a New Yorker? Sure. And it, <laughs> sure, why not? It never leaves you. And I also feel like I've gotten a chance to spend more time here in the last few years. So I feel a refreshed connection to the city. Yeah. So, um, well, I guess let's let's talk. Let's let's start with the show because that's fresh in my mind. Um, were you looking to do another series? How did this one happen? You know, it happened so quickly after Community was canceled by NBC the first time we were canceled. Um, that I yeah, I hadn't even really thought about it yet. Um, so it it kind of came to me, it was the easiest job I've ever gotten, which is remarkable. Usually it's, you know, it's a struggle, and especially with TV, you have to test and you go in multiple times sure. and pass a network and studio gauntlet. So this one kind of happened so fast. And um, I think I had one second of like, do I want to do another TV show right now? And then I was like, it's everything I would want. So why why pass up on this great thing? Yeah. And you got, and you got, I mean, we talked about the pedigree behind it, but also the fact that I don't know, like when it was presented to you, it was, but it was like a two season pickup from the well, start. It was before they took it to Netflix. So oh, wow, okay. yeah, they came to me before they took it out to the networks. Got it. Yeah. Which is nice. Cause it's sort of, they wanted to present it as this is the show. It's Gillian it and his it. Paul. It. If you want it, you want it. If you don't, you don't. Operation, operating from a position of power. I well, when you're Judd Apatow, you get to do that. <laughs> Does it feel like, because it's interesting, I think you're now the um, the third cast member from Hot Tub Time Machine 2 I've had on. <laughs> Did I thought you were going to say community. No. Um, no. What, I other, I, frankly, actually, I don't think I've had another. Oh, Allison's been on. Oh, yeah. Um, who are the other well, um, Hot Tub time, <laughs> Timers? Hot Tubbers. Um, Adam Scott. The greatest. I mean, literally the best. Uh, and uh, Cordry was just in here a couple um, weeks ago. Also kind of the best. For Children's Hospital? Was yeah. He, yes. Have you ever done Children's Hospital? I never have. You need to get in on that. This is the gauntlet is being thrown down right now. Why have right. I not? I'm friends with David Wayne. There's. I've worked with Cordry. I've worked with Ken Marino. I've worked with Hubel. It's insulting at this point. <laughs> they had an amazing episode, I think the second or third of the season, uh, with John Hamm that uh, is one of their best. They're, they're going strong. I love that show. Well, uh, do, I don't, don't like don't it yet. Don't make it weird. Don't make it... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, wait, what was my question? Oh, Hot Tub Time Machine. Oh, I guess my, my question was, because, I mean, you know, in, in your career thus far, you, I think you'd probably agree, your most successful stuff, at least in terms of stuff that has resonated with folks, has been television. Mm -hmm. You've had a couple of very successful shows. I think this one's going to be successful with both critics and audiences, hopefully. Um, has it been, has it, like, on the film side, has it been frustrating? Have, do you feel like you've been, had a tougher road to, to go down? Or can you figure out why film is tougher to crack than, than TV for you? Mm. Or, or you can fault the premise of my question, too. Feel free. <laughs> um, let me think about that. I think that you really never know how things are going to do. Yeah. And so, I mean, community could have been canceled so many points along the way and somehow through luck and chance and circumstance at NBC clung on. Um, but I guess with films, like you don't know if it's going to get into the right festival, if it gets yeah. into the right festival, who this distributor is going to, you know, there's just so many variables with it that I have kind of had to release myself with expectations beyond like trying to do a good job. Yeah. And then the rest of it is out of my control. It, so is that like something that like evolves in terms of, of a philosophy having been in things that you think are going to turn out better than they have or things that you think are good that just don't find an audience? Like, yeah. Do you become more 
kind of detached at a certain point, or is it still kind of like, uh, oh, I poured my heart and soul into that, what's going on? Yeah, I think you still have that moment of like, I don't know why that didn't hit the way I thought it would, but I think by and large, I try and have a fairly detached view from it, yeah. and just focus on doing things that I believe in and I want to do, and so then that's that's the joy in it, is doing it, and then beyond that, who knows? And when you're in something like this, like again, with such talented writers and, and performers, and you're and going to an outlet like, like Netflix, I mean, this feels like not easy, but like you feel like I would think you feel safer in this kind of context, yes? Yeah, I think the deck, the deck is stacked in a more favorable way on this show. Yeah. You know, it, it it's really, I've learned helpful to have somebody like a Judd Apatow, if you can have that somebody, you know, it certainly, you know, getting a two season pickup from Netflix right off the bat and all of the wonderful things that have gone along with that, you know, community never had that like mega super producer that, you know, could throw their weight around. And so I think consequently, you know, we kind of got shuffled around at the network. So certainly it's fun to come to the party with Judd. (laughs) Um, And I think that he kind of just, he attracts other quality people. So the, the, the level of the material is, is higher. So how would you, how would you describe love the Mm. the show, not the emotion? Uh, (laughs) You can, you can go there. Similarly. Um, I think that it is a show that follows two people, Mickey and Gus. I play Mickey. Gus is played by Paul Rust. Uh, On the surface, we're complete opposites, but both kind of at low points in our life. And you realize over the course of the show that these people are drawn to each other for some reason. Um, And they really have to get their shit together if they're ever going to successfully find love and happiness. And and Mickey, at least by episode five, still has a lot of shit to deal with. Yes. She's, she's kind of screwed up. Well, as we all are. To yeah, yes, yes. I think her her issues are more on the surface. Yes. Then uh, some people are better at hiding their things. Right. Um, yes. And she has some poor impulse control issues. So um, she can make a scene. <laughs> Does it feel like a new kind of character, something that you haven't played before? Is this refreshing in some ways? Um, yeah, I always get excited when I feel like the character is so far removed from who I am as a person in my day-to-day life that it feels like sort of a dare. Yeah. Can you pull this off? So certainly I felt that with this one. How much of the show, because it's it, it's it's co-created right by Paul and... Leslie Arfin. And Leslie, who's, uh, who's associated with Paul in some way. Yes. They are married. They are, married. Yeah, yeah, they are okay. legally associated legally with associated. each other. Yeah. That's the, the proper uh, legal... Uh, That's definition. how you refer to marriage. Legal association. <laughs> I have been legally associated with my wife for now for uh, eight years. Oh, um, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, she hates it when I call it that. Uh, <laughs> her, my wife, or anything. Um, really? No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, I, I guess my question is, obviously, they're drawing... I would think they're drawing upon their experiences uh-huh. or whatever. Do you feel like you have an equal seat at the table and that you can kind of like contribute your own experiences? Like, is that, is that something that's they've been very welcoming of my ideas and opinions and, um, you know, had me come to the writer's room and sit and talk with them. And so, um, I don't know that there's as much specifically from my life in the show, but yeah. I felt like it was a very collaborative process. So, 
I'm sure at some point something will leak in there that's me, but so far nothing that's directly out of my life. Would your relationship history make for a good uh, sitcom, <laughs> drama, sci-fi? What, what, what genre are we talking uh, about? I haven't dated an alien, so I don't think sci-fi <laughs> would be a pl- that I know of that could explain some behavior. Um, have not come back yet. Um, probably start off as a depressing drama and maybe move into a lighter comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, have you have you done season two yet? We start in March. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, circling around randomly in my brain. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we're, we're in New York. You, mm-hmm. you went to Juilliard, which yes. sounds like it was a thrilling, happy experience uh, from day just, one. Uh, a joy. A joy. A joy. <laughs> a joy. Um, do you feel a kinship with other folks that have gone through that run yes. that gauntlet? Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, we're being facetious, but it, that's a tough that's I know. Tough I'm looking one. over at your board. I went to school with Lee Pace. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And Oscar and Jess, Jessica Chastain. Anthony Mackie was there, right? Anthony Mackie was there. Yes, you you um, have been through things, similar things. No matter when you were there, it's like you can look them in the eye and know that you both know what the <laughs> score is. So, so when you uh, Kevin Klein wasn't oh, there when I was there, first class. Well, you Juilliard. worked with him recently, right? We didn't have any scenes oh, together. Oh, you were in a film with him. Yes. I love Kevin Klein. I know. Who doesn't love I mean, Kevin Klein? He, he came in for the podcast. <gasps> but I know. It was it was all I could do not to just quote David him for an oh, hour. Oh, yeah. Or A Fish Called Wanda. Oh, please. That's a, please. literally a Come perfect on. movie. Yes. Um, uh, Julia, Julia. Okay. So I was going to say, so where were you at? Like, okay. Like in terms of your confidence level the day before you started at Juilliard and, like, a month after. Like, did it kind of, did it, you know what I mean? Like, because you had been acting yeah. professionally. Yeah, in Pittsburgh. I mean, but, but yes. still. I yes, mean, sure. And then you get to, like, literally the high watermark in, in America, like, the best place you can go. Um was it a rude awakening? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of that classic thing of um, freshman orientation. Where they're like, look to your left, look to your right. One of those people is not going to be sitting next to you. Um, it's not that dire at Juilliard, but it certainly feels like you all come in with this cocky arrogance of like, I did it. I got in there. Like, it's just begun. <laughs> and then they slowly break you down um, as the years go on. And usually around your sophomore year is a real low point. Yeah. And then hopefully you're your junior and senior year, you're kind of climbing back out of it. Yeah. So certainly it's like you go from feeling like I've done it to like, I'm the worst actor that's ever lived. <laughs> yeah. I read your, uh, your recent piece for, uh, Lena's uh, yeah. website, which was about, um, I guess you were on probation. I was, which, which again, seems like uh, what I've heard about you and read about you, like seems out of character mm-hmm. given your background. That must've been like, it was a shock to me. Right. Like, yes. No, this isn't, that's not who no, I am. I'm the teacher's pet. Yeah. <laughs> you don't put the teacher's pet on probation. You love the teacher's pet. Um, do you, are you philosophical now and like, oh, that was good for me. I needed to go through that. Yeah, I think so. I think because I'd had such a great run of it as a kid in Pittsburgh, like did so many plays and kind of got to do Shakespeare and Chekhov and work at all like the best theaters in Pittsburgh, I'd kind of had a charmed time. So this business is so cruel um, that I think had I had an equally easy time at Juilliard, I think uh, getting told no might have devastated me. Yeah. So I think the fact that um, I got roughed up a bit in college made me feel more prepared for the rejection, not surprised by it. And like, oh, you just endure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's this career. Uh, it's, it's a profession of attrition. And so kind of you just got to hang on. So and you were uh, growing up you, only child. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds like relatively early you got obsessed with this 
Yes. Uh, to a degree. So uh, you mentioned like something like A Fish Called Wanda. Give me a sense of like the things you were films, actors you were obsessed with as a kid. Um, I was saying earlier today that I was a real Monty Python fan nice. as a kid. I had an acting teacher who would play us um, Lemmings, uh, the the uh, National Lampoon Lemmings albums, mm -hmm. and make us learn and perform Monty Python sketches. And... Um, what else? I loved Catherine Hepburn as a kid. I loved like Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn comedies. <laughs> I watched a lot of those, which didn't really make me popular. You're saying the other school. kids in high school were going to want to watch. Like, yeah, or elementary story school. Or something, I was or... obsessed with the Derek Jacobi miniseries, I, Claudius, oh, in elementary I never, school. I always meant to watch that. Oh, it it's like a wonderful Roman soap opera <laughs> to the point where in elementary school, we got um, eggs from the 4-H club that we hatched. And I named my chick Posthumus Germanicus, which was a character from I, Claudius. And everyone, I mean, once again, like looking back, no wonder no one wanted to talk to me. But at the time, right. like, I just thought I was obsessed with I, Claudius. Like, right. um, I liked like, Poirot, I loved Agatha Christie mysteries, sure. and I read all of Sherlock Holmes as a kid, and I loved Shakespeare. I saw that Kenneth Branagh, Much Ado About Nothing movie when I was a kid. That I, made a huge impression on me. It's funny. I've, I've, I've said this story before. I remember vividly going to see Hamlet when it came out. Oh, yeah. Hamlet with the intermission here in New York, mm -hmm. and like I skipped school to go see it. It was like... Mm -hmm. A big deal. Mm -hmm. Every amazing actor shot in 70 millimeter. I was like, this is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So I I really loved Shakespeare. And um, I would try to see every Shakespeare play that I could. And um, I got really into George Bernard Shaw. Oh, kids love George Ch Bernard Ch Shaw. Children love George Bernard Shaw. <laughs> Brings them together. Um, I they, had a nickel for every sleepover that was just God. discussing George Bernard Shaw. <laughs> Major Barbara is frequently a topic of conversation. <laughs> yeah, there's a George Bernard Shaw festival in Canada. Uh -huh. And my I dragged my family there for like five summers running to go wow. see, yes, Shavian plays. <laughs> So I'm not sure if I so would have fit along in, with you as a child. Not actually. many so, did. Yeah. yeah. I got along much better with adults, which is why I was so shocked when the, the teachers at Juilliard didn't really think much of me. <laughs> so out of Juilliard, was it still um, a, a tough road? Because you were doing some plays in New York, stuck around in New York a little yeah, bit, right? Yeah, and I did some independent film here, and then I would go to L.A. and do pilots that didn't get picked up, or if they did, I was recast. Like, you know, just those... What that's got to be? Uh, what what? How does that happen when you get recast? Do they? How does it you? happen? You're not good, no, I know, I know. I <laughs> or you get blamed? Well, I guess I'm, I'm more interested in the process. Do you get a phone call? I think I got a phone call. Yeah, that's yeah. Sad. You know, the show did not go on to be a hit, so it was not like an ongoing open wound. <laughs> right. But I would imagine it would be much tougher if it, it was, was like, like ER or whatever. Yeah, the yeah. job of a lifetime. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of actors have that experience, yeah. you know. And once again, it's like because I had a hard time at Juilliard. It's like, these are things that happen. Yeah. And you just got to keep going. Like, you can't give up because your ego got hurt. Did it, Was there a point that you felt like there was going to be a plan B? Or was it always just sort of like, I'm going to be able to mm, figure this out? I feel like I started... Off, 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 Broadway. I'll yeah. I started to get nervous. And, you know, certainly my friends who weren't actors, it felt like their lives were moving along more than mine was. Like, they had much nicer apartments than me. They had... I mean, I had like a flip phone when community started. Like I couldn't afford it. You know what I mean? They were like, why do you still have this flip phone? I was like, I can't afford anything else. Um, so I think I was kind of worried um, if I was ever going to make a living doing it. Right. And you sort of are like, but the, the dangerous pull of this profession is we're all one audition away from everything changing. Yeah. So that keeps you going. Um, 
And thankfully, I got community and, you know, it brought a lot of stability to my life. And um, I stopped feeling so nervous all the time if I was ever going to because that's the other thing when you don't have a lot of momentum going as an actor, every time a job ends, you're convinced it's the last time you'll ever work. So I before community, I had started to work more consistently. It wasn't like I didn't have that like pressing anxiety, but I wasn't really making a good living doing it. So um, to be able to actually buy furniture and <laughs> things like that. It. I can afford a, a sofa. Totally. Kind of. I Oh, when I started Community, I had an empty apartment with one chair and a bed. Wow. I, my friend You're a minimalist. Said, I was, the feng shui was very... You know. I've been compared to Neil Macaulay of heat um, in the past. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I'm seeing Heat, uh, Michael Mann's doing a festival here. I heard. And, okay, I'm going to say it. I don't want to jinx. Michael Mann's coming on the podcast next week. Oh, I, my I'm, God. I'm really excited. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I'm obsessed. It's going to be intense. What's your favorite Michael Mann movie? I think, I was thinking about this because I've started to prep a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Heat mm-hmm. and, and Last Mohicans are two perfect films. Yeah. Perfect films, basically. But I would also say... Um, Collateral is great. I would say Manhunters. Oh, Manhunters. I just watched so. the yeah, Manhunters. Oh, my God. What else do I love? Um, they're all amazing. Um, Black Hat, parts of Black Hat were shot not far from where I live in L.A. Oh, really? Yes. It, you could tell Michael Mann was nearby because the streets were wetted down and there was pink neon <laughs> lighting. <laughs> he, yeah, he's showing a uh, like a new cut. Of a I heard. Cut. I'm I gonna heard. give it a try. I'm gonna hope for the best. I um, mean, is it like additional footage or just recut? Or apparently he's recut. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Actually. You do know? No, I don't know how much new footage is in there. But it's, email right now. Find out. <laughs> M man at AOL. Yeah. Why does he have an AOL address? That's so weird. <laughs> um, anyway, enough about like a man. That's next week. Um, so what was the first? Do you remember your first like big audition? Like what was like the first? Thing, even prior to community that you, mm-hmm. you had I remember right out for. of college I like I we went to LA to do our showcase from Juilliard and I got an audition for this movie I remember it was a period piece starring Shia LaBeouf as a golfer I think Bill Paxton directed it it was like the greatest game ever yeah played, right and at that point I thought if you got a callback you got the movie so I remember I got a callback and I was like huh it's in the bag <laughs> I got it. And then very quickly, oh, I had another. You want to hear another terrible experience? Please. I live for them. Okay. So I had, um, <laughs> I was in New York. It was pilot season. And it, was, it was like this whole thing, like New York actors, do you go to LA? Do you stay here? Right. Things happen very quickly. And you kind of feel like even being a couple hours behind roles are just slipping through your fingers. But yeah. I had gone on tape in New York and they said they wanted to fly me to LA to test for the show. So I was so excited. Um, it was my first time testing, first time being flown to LA for something and you get put up in a hotel and it feels very exciting. And so, um, first you audition for the studio and then if they like you, then you go to the network. So I auditioned for the studio. It's like a group of girls all up for the same part. And afterwards the director came out and I was like, okay, so do you have any like notes for me for next time? And he's like, yeah, so maybe think about this and this and this. And so I called my agents. I was like, I'm going to network. I'm going to network and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting to get the appointment for the network. And finally I get a call from my Agents saying, you're not going to network. The director, he wasn't really that experienced with TV. He didn't understand that it's not all up to him. And they really liked you, but you're just not right for this part. And they're, they're so sorry. The casting director called me to apologize. She's like, oh. I'm so sorry. And I like started crying on the phone, oh. trying to like mask it because you don't want to seem too right. pathetic. But like, you know, you just have those experiences where 
when you're right out of school, you don't know which end is up. Yeah. You know, and so everything that happens, it's like, it's happening. And yeah. then it it was like, no, it's not. I have to go through the meat grinder a bit more. Um, so, yeah, I definitely had... Big auditions like that that I felt like I, I used to like get so nervous that my vision would go out of focus. Like you just don't know what your stress responses are really right. until you're in those situations and my mouth would get really dry and my eyes Makes would go. Makes for a really good audition for a blonde, totally. dry-mouthed uh, young actress. Panicked, um, flop sweat is what they're looking for. <laughs> and I remember one time I was like, I'm just going to like make a joke and like lighten up the room. And I remember afterwards the casting director called my agent and was like, yeah, she shouldn't do that. And like that didn't go over well. So, do you remember the joke? No. And it was for like some vampire TV show, like pre True Blood before right. it like had really gotten, you know, it's, and I just, I, I don't know what I was doing. Do you still, do you still have any of that residual stuff if and when you have to go audition for stuff now? Sure. And, you know, a, a lot of things in this business are nerve wracking. Doing talk shows are scary. Like there's, you know, but I try and like talk myself through the panic a bit more. Yeah. Um, and I don't feel so quite as desperate as I felt previously, you <laughs> right, know, right. and then people yeah, can smell I'll be okay that without. Yes. Yeah. And people can smell that from a mile away and it's not. It's not good. So the less desperate I feel, the more I'm able to like. Yeah. I'll be okay either way. Yeah. Well, this, this this sparks a lot of questioning. Let's let's do some firsts. Okay, mm -hmm. first uh, first film festival you went to with you. Well, I, I had a feeling it was it was for Choke, right? No, actually, I'm sorry, I'm lying. Okay. I went to South by Southwest okay. for this movie called Blackbird with Michael Shannon, your big fave. I love him. Um, but really, the first movie I did that made it to theaters was Choke, yeah. which is where I met you at Sundance. Yeah. That was that was one of my first Sundances. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, so, what do you remember of that going through that experience? It was dreamy because it was like the movie sold at our after party after the right. you know it was like a big sale at Sundance that year and um, for me it just felt like oh this is so I see you Sam Rockwell on your board over there Sam Rockwell is there a better better human being than no. Sam Rockwell no no. Yeah, so that was just a dream, and Clark Gregg, who directed the film, was so supportive of me and um, and made sure that they brought me to Sundance and all of yeah. those like lovely things that were so considerate of them. Because I had a small part, but it was my first time doing press, really, yeah, yeah. and all these things. So you don't quite know what you're doing. Like I remember. Um, I didn't have a stylist and I was like going, I didn't have any money, like going to stores, trying to like find a top, like <laughs> that would be Sundance appropriate. You know, you just, you just don't know. And you sort of realize as you're in this business longer, there's like a whole machine behind it. But when you're first starting out, you just feel very much on the other side of it. Yeah. Probably like my first time getting like hair and makeup done by, sure. so, you know, all those things, um, which are so exciting at the time. And um, now you're a jaded, oh, cynical, <laughs> Are there? Still Can't believe they booked me on this podcast. <laughs> what, so, what excites you at this point, though? What I mean, honestly, there must be still things that are you this kidding is a first, me? This is a. Are you kidding me? Like, uh, Community was so like basically a web series of a TV show that everything on Love excited me. Like, I was giddy to shoot on location. I was giddy for driving scenes, and they were like, "Why are you so excited?" I was like, "We were trapped indoors for years at a time. We didn't shoot in natural daylight for years right. at a time." So, yeah, I get excited. I mean, I've done so many tiny budget indie movies where you don't have a dressing room, you know, you don't have craft service, you're changing in like a public bathroom at Port Authority and like, so any niceties I'm still really thrilled by. 
You had to change the port, uh, in, in the port authority. In the, oh yeah, that movie there? Blackbird with Michael Shannon. I distinctly remember changing in the public bathroom at Port Authority. And, and being a New Yorker and being someone that you know what that means. Oh my God! Because I used to. I, I went to school upstate New York, and uh-huh. I would take a bus from the Port Authority, and it was like the saddest. It was like I would take like a midnight bus mm-hmm. to get back home after a weekend here. It was the scariest place on the planet. Yeah. So being in that bathroom, like it's. I'm happy you're still with us. Yeah, yeah. I've changed in some pretty gross places. <laughs> um, yeah, I've had my hair and makeup done like just in a parking lot just like in full view of the street you know I mean you just you can't be precious about anything so yeah anytime it's a little bit cushier than that I get excited okay let's do a couple other first first uh, either or or both of these first um, award show or first Mm. uh, talk show any of those spark any memories The first award show where we won anything was the Critics' Choice Television Award. We won for Best Comedy one year for Community, and that was huge. We were the most excited people there. Like, it wasn't quite as big of a deal as it is now. Like, right. it, you know, it wasn't tele. I don't know that it was televised. The TV and movie parts were still separate. Right. A lot of people had left because it was one of the last awards, and we got up and we're like jumping up and down in front of like a half empty ballroom with like people who were like mainly had lost or you know glazed over yeah. people who just wanted to like get out of their high heels or go home, and we're like jumping up and down like you don't know what this means for us. We never win anything, uh, so that that was very exciting. I feel like community. I mean, now in. I mean, I don't know if we can say it's officially over. It's never officially over with some yeah, community, it's, right? But it's unkillable. But but looking back, at least at what you've done so far on it, I feel like it's the equivalent of like when I was growing up of like, and this is a, maybe a bad analogy. It's like it's almost like you were like on like a Star Trek show. You were, you know what I mean? You were kind of like you weren't like mainstream, mainstream. Mm-hmm. But those that watched it obsessed over it yes. and were like it was their life, and that's that's a rare thing. That's it a, is, and you know what I realized as the show went on that it meant something to people emotionally in a way that I couldn't have anticipated and that that is a real privilege because when you meet people who have such a deep connection to your show that's rare and so I really tried to appreciate that as it was happening because you just don't know if that'll ever happen again um so yeah, it's a really special connection. I mean, and and more than a lot of shows, we were like, you're the reason we're still on the air. Yeah, like, like the, almost literally, you yes, actually. Yes. Yeah, you um, so that that intensity of connection from us yeah. to them as well. Um, yeah, they organized their own convention for the show, Communicon. I mean, how many people can say that? This is what I'm saying. This is Star Trek. Yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, they've so, had three of them. Who? Um, so what does it say about a person when when your character is their favorite, you think? What, how, what does that indicate? They're about? misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> they're the butt of all the jokes in their friend group. Um, I, love, I love it when people come up to me and they're like, I'm Britta. Um, yeah, I wear it with a, as a badge of pride. I feel like I'm, I'm often Britta in real life, too. You're well-intentioned, but make a lot of mistakes. Um, I, I hope that I don't take myself quite as seriously as Britta does. And I think I have slightly more um, computer knowledge than Britta. <laughs> I can do more than make it seep old West color. Um, but yeah, poor Britta. Poor Britta. Best of intentions. Wait, speak, this, here's a segue. Since you mentioned computers, I watched your little your, your short doc. That Thank you, you very much. No, it's great. Um, it's called A Queen of... The Queen of Code. Queen of Code. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting. It has the ESPN banner. I'm like, oh, ESPN 30 for 30? But this doesn't feel... 
ESPN y, but it's great. I mean, okay. I guess the, the, the indicator is ESPN is like about the gold standard in docs. They're yes. amazing. Yes. So, how did this is your first directing effort? Mm-hmm. How did this one come about? Well, Dan Silver, who really I think is responsible for why we love 3430 films, um, I met him first because he visited the community set because Danny Pudi made a, a 3430 short right. um, about Marquette basketball. And then um, I was on a panel at the Tribeca Film Festival with him a couple. I don't know, maybe like a year later. Um, And so I really wanted, I was like, if you're handing out directing jobs to (laughs) actors who've never directed before, I want to get in line. Um, So I had a couple of like, you know, 30 for 30 sports ideas that weren't quite right for them. And Mm -hmm. um, that, that series was so established that it was like their slate was essentially full. But uh, I think um, ESPN bought the website 538 in the meantime, and so sort of out of the blue, he called me and said, we're doing this series. It's like 30 for 30, but it's like computing, statistics, tech, docs. And do you want to make one about this woman, Grace Hopper? I was like, who is Grace Hopper? <laughs> and um, so from there on out, I tried to educate myself to the point where I actually understood what she had done. Sure. Because at first it was just like gibberish to yeah. me. And so then once I realized really what she had done, I got really excited about the idea. And um, so, yeah, I made this documentary despite the fact that I I know a little bit more than Britta, but basically I don't know anything about computers. <laughs> and it's out there for free, guys. You yeah. can watch it all right now, and it's great. And, it's a, and yeah, I frankly I was not aware of her work either, but it's great to see actual footage of her speaking mm-hmm. and, and the older uh, photos and stuff, and it's a fascinating little she story. She also made a really great appearance on David Letterman. We oh. couldn't get the rights to it, but if you Google Grace Hopper, David Letterman, it's a great, that she's hilarious. Epic, sure. Yeah, I she's terrific. Um. What was I going to say? Oh, I, I know what I was going to say. You were um, you were also at the White House recently yeah. with with a, like an old acquaintance of mine, Who? Meredith Walker. Yes, Meredith. Um, so you you were with Smart Girls, which yes. is this great uh, organization that Meredith and Amy Poehler uh, run. Um, and Meredith, I don't know if you, she worked at a show I worked for, uh, John McEnroe's talk show. Oh yeah, like a dozen years ago, and she was the booker there, and she's awesome. And I know she moved back to I think Austin. Now, yeah, she's right? in Austin. Yeah. Um. So tell me about getting involved with them and what you were doing at the White House. Yeah. So uh, I'm such a fan of Smart Girls at the party, and um, they asked me to come along with them because the White House reached out to their website and said, "Will you come and?" help bring some more awareness to this event that we're doing. So the White House, um, I think uh, President Obama and Valerie Jarrett started this program called White House Champions for Change. Mm -hmm. And this year it was all people involved in computer science. And so it was students. There was like three girls around the country, two high school students, one college student, and then educators, researchers, and advocates for computer science education. And it was one of the most inspiring days I've had in a long time. It really shows you the true power of well-intentioned people who are trying to change the world. And um, you just left full of idealism and enthusiasm. And I went on code.org and was like playing like third grade level computer games, <laughs> trying to teach myself the rudimentaries of coding. Amazing. And I'm trying, I want to challenge myself this year to learn how to code. Um, and so uh, it was, it was an amazing day. So growing up, it sounds like uh, from what, what I've heard about you, you were, you were close to your mom. Yes. Um, I mean, did you have 
by and large female role models uh-huh. that were kind of like charting your path, you think? I mean, what was that? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I had a couple of acting teachers who were hugely influential for me, um, one of whom taught at Carnegie Mellon, um, Ingrid Sonicson. What up? Um, <laughs> big, big fan of the podcast. Big fan. Well, she taught Zach Quinto. I'm looking at your oh, list. Nice. Okay, good. Yes. Um, so she uh, was my acting teacher and also taught acting at Carnegie Mellon. So I would go and um, sit in on their classes when I was in high school. So I met Zach Quinto and Matt Bomer and all these people as a like 13 year old. Um, And I was this weird kid sitting in the back corner of the class. And um, so she was a huge influence on me. Um, Shout out to Joan Rosenfels of the the Upper West Side, who I met when I was 17. And uh, we were cast in a play together and she's remained and a hugely important person in my life. She's an actress and acting teacher. And so, yeah, I think I tend, I just find moms, substitute moms wherever I go. <laughs> Pat Baxter, what up? <laughs> now you're just making names up. No, I'm not. Pat Baxter <laughs> was my mom in LA, took her on. I'm like, whether you want another kid or not, I'm your, I'm your new daughter. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Cause like it, you've talked about sort of like those first film roles that you did. It was kind of like your like run of like runaways, stripper, mm-hmm. drug addict, you know, it's yeah. like you had that. There was a, there was a bunch oh, yes. of that. And a lot of actresses ha- have that. That's not unique to your experience, sadly. Um, and some of them were, were were worthy parts and cool parts and things like choke, and yeah. some maybe less so. Um, but I'm, I'm curious just like rationalizing, like, you know, being someone that I would think you characterize yourself as a feminist and someone that's looking for, you know, to be, be uh, if not a role model, be someone that's responsible and someone that, um, you know, is, again, charting a good path for others to emulate. Um, I mean, back then, were you self-aware about these things and being like, oh, God, like, I have to do this just because I have to do it? Or, like, this sucks, like, that this is all that's offered to me and young women like me? Give Mm -hmm. me a sense of sort of where your head was at then. Um, And and in retrospect, now, back. I think that those professions are um, disproportionately overrepresented uh, for young actresses. So it kind of feels like a rather large percentage of the parts out there, or at least the parts that I was in contention for. I tried to do things that I believed in. You know, I did this movie called Gardens of the Night, which was really bleak and um, sad, but I felt like also an important and moving film. Mm. And um, I'm proud of Choke. I mean, was it, was I jumping up and down about playing another stripper again? No, but I really liked the book. I liked the script. I liked the actors and the director. So it, um, it felt like something that I could feel good about. Um, but it, you know, I thought I was going to be playing like Juliet in Cleveland at the Cleveland Playhouse. So, you know, like I thought when I graduated from college that I would be playing like the classic ingenue. And I think at first it was, um, really flattering to me that people could imagine me in parts that felt so different from who I was that I couldn't understand why they were wanting me for these roles. Um, So I think it was a good acting challenge initially, but certainly by the time like I got to community, I was actively saying like, please, I want to do a comedy. I can't do another movie like this. Um, And so I was very happily doing comedy from there on out and for a while. And, you know, I feel like, you know, the Mickey character on Love, she's got a lot of issues, but she also feels like a person that I know, you know? Yeah. So um, I think we all struggle with things, but yeah, it, you know, you don't get a lot of, I think that's the thing is that like as a young actress, young actor, you don't get a lot of choice. Yeah. You you are 
you know, fighting to get cast in everything, whether it's like, a, you know, the most prestigious movie out there or something now that I would look back and go like, that's a tiny budget indie that's never going to go anywhere. It's right. still a fight to get cast in everything. So I think there's some part of you that just also wants to work, yeah. you know, so, um, you know, I wish I wish that I had you know, been cast in like a winter's bone and like been set on like a Jennifer Lawrence trajectory, but that's not how it worked out for me. You know, it's everything's been much more like incremental for me. What, what, what about philosophy in terms of like something like love? It, it, it's integral to the the story, but like, you know, there's some, there's some both frank and very comedic sex scenes. Yeah. Like right from the start. Yes. Um, and, you know, I mean, do you have like a different philosophy on those at this point in your career than you had early on? Have there, is there stuff you've learned about approaching those that makes it um, more bearable? I have a great lawyer. Uh, <laughs> a lot of clauses. A lot, a lot of clauses. Uh, very specific language. Um, be, but seriously, you have to do that, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Before every scene, it'd be hilarious. We'd be on set and he's like, all right, tomorrow we got one coming up. So we got to cut talk through this your uh, your upper gluteal cleft otherwise known as your butt cheek i mean like my poor lawyer uh 30% of side boob tomorrow yeah i mean we we negotiated the nudity contract for choke when i was at my grandmother's memorial service no joke uh so we have we have spent some hours on the phone together um Big ups to Jamie Feldman. I'm just shouting everybody out today. Um yeah, i think you know you learn you learn to like uh only do what you're comfortable with yeah. do things that you feel like are servicing the story and um and i think just like as a life lesson for everyone learning to say no thank you yeah yeah totally um what's uh, so you've got the second season you're shooting relatively mm -hmm. soon march yeah we uh, start again uh upcoming film stuff what was uh yeah i did for? a movie with mike burbiglia that's going to south by oh, nice. yeah be out there yeah, I'm going to go for that. Cool. And um, I made a movie with Dimitri Martin that hopefully will go to some festivals this year. And um, what else do I have? That's enough, right? That's enough. Please. That's good enough. Yeah. You're good. You're good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm and good. Guys, I'm good. Don't worry about <laughs> you're directing me. directing short films. I'm directing. I want to make more. That's another thing. I really want to make more um, short documentaries. So, Did you do the interviews in that? Or yeah. The one, was that enjoyable? It really was. I liked every aspect of it. I liked... Um, I really liked it felt like creative problem solving a lot of the time because yeah. it's like you have a limited budget for a documentary and you know every photograph every second of film footage is has a price tag totally. on it yeah, yeah. so really learning to kill your your darlings by having to cut things that I loved and I thought were essential but we just couldn't afford the footage or you know basically hounding universities and libraries and museums until they gave us the rights to images like there was um, the companies that this woman, Grace Hopper, worked for have been bought and bought and bought and bought. Right. And so finally, I think I think Unisys Corporation owns them now. Mm -hmm. And so I um, was trying to get in contact with them and every number they had on their website didn't work. I was sitting I remember sitting in my dressing room at community just calling number after number after number and getting like busy signals or like gas stations like it become <laughs> and so finally i was like i'm just going to tweet them and so i tweeted unisys and was like hey i'm trying to get in touch with you and someone responded immediately Amazing. and i got in touch with the right person but yeah i i felt like relent i felt like shameless like things i would never do as an actor like self promotion wise or like be right. far more aggressive like 
I made my aunt call Harvard on my behalf to get <laughs> um, the rights to images. Like I was just be like, hey, I need this, you know, yeah, like, yeah, but yeah. it felt like it was for the right cause. It was for it was the right cause. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it somehow that like the role of director gave me enough remove that I was uh, somehow emboldened to do things that I would never do as an actor. Do you want to do you want to direct narrative as well? Was that a? I would like to. A- I don't want to direct something that I'm acting in, though, initially, because that just I don't know how people do it. It just seems so intimidating to me. Yeah. Um, so I would if I was to do that, I would like to to direct something that I'm not in. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, I I really had fun writing that article for Lenny, and um, so I'd like to do more of that. I'm just sort of like in a place where if something scares me, I'm drawn towards it. Nice. So that's why how you got in this office. This podcast could be very you terrify me. <laughs> <laughs> I probably shouldn't have worn this monster outfit. It seems a little on the nose, but you should put that mask on oh, the Frank mask. Yes. <laughs> uh, do you want to end with a random question? Sure. Or two from a sketchy Indiana Jones fedora. Yeah. Love a sketchy Indiana Jones fedora. I know, I know, I know what you're into. Oh yeah, we've had we had a lot of those on Community. I feel like my favorite sport is um, the my favorite sport I like to watch is tennis. What does that say? I agree. Yeah, totally. Um, I've I've been to the U.S. Open and not in years, and I really want to go again. I I love watching tennis. I also weirdly like pro wrestling. I've read this about you. Yes. That, that seemed incongruous. I know, but you know what? I'm a woman. I uh, What does Walt Whitman say? Uh, about Hulk Hogan? Did he have a quote about Hulk Hogan? <laughs> I contain multitudes. <laughs> wow. Do you keep up with it now? Or you... No, I'm out of touch. And it was so funny. I was just talking to someone who's really a fan. They're like, you haven't been in so long that everyone that you saw before is now like in the WWE. So you got to go back again and like get up to date. Have you been to WrestleMania? Never have. No, I've gone to this thing called Pro Wrestling Gorilla, which is in Reseda, California, okay. in a Legionnaire's Hall. And it's like four rows of folding chairs around a mat. And it's like it's like the indie cousin. Right. It's like the wrestler without the pathos. Was, you know? I was going to say, you're living foxcatcher. Yeah. Know? No one is like um, throwing chairs at each other or like cutting themselves. Some did cut themselves okay. once. And I was really disgusted by that. <laughs> too and far. Too you far, sir. <laughs> a step too far <laughs> blood was dripping on the floor there was like droplets of his blood in front of me i'm That's... sorry Gillen, when you get into uh, pro wrestling them no, the breaks that goes with the territory. too much <laughs> i don't enjoy blading that's the term for is it is that true it's called blading I that um i've learned so much yeah should you. i answer another question yeah, let's, let's do it okay i, I do feel the I'm, that's gonna haunt my dreams your love of pro oh, wrestling yeah. though you're gonna rewatch the wrestler i love the wrestler oh my closest friend's family call me um, they call me beans. Okay. Any? Because they say I spill the beans. Oh, really? You're a Which I dispute. Kathy? I dispute. <laughs> dispute. I rebuke this nickname. I feel like there might be an element of truth to it. Perhaps once. <laughs> Perhaps once. But you know what? Everybody's guilty of it. And those who accuse me are themselves guilty. You're just. Not to name names, okay. but. Wow, you're that person who just passes yeah. the blame onto someone else. Yeah, Take the buck doesn't your- stop here. I'm not the president. <laughs> the buck doesn't stop here. And that's what it says on her shirt right now. It's <laughs> a weird thing to have. Um, does that feel like an inappropriate place? You tell me. You end the podcast, Gillian. I'll answer another question. Okay. This is fun. I like talking not, to you. It's been so weird. many years in the making. Why end this now? This is not, this is an is October that? calendar. <laughs> we need to get that out of the hat. <laughs> That is a discarded 
This, this was from the almost violent year calendar I had up. Oh, really? I love that movie, too. Yeah. Oscar Isaac. Chastain. Favorite Godfather movie. Oh, this, this is telling. Three. Just this kidding. Don't even. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it's underrated, though. It's a good movie. Sure. So. Yeah. There's some great moments. Two or one. Two. Yeah, I don't know. I can go either way. It depends on my mood. All right. How about the one where they put it in chronological order so you don't have to pick? They've been showing that. Yeah, I saw it on HBO. cable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a lot of, I've been watching a lot of, uh, what was I watching? Cape Fear on oh, Cape, Cape Fear. Yeah. Love Cape. Oh, I was going to ask you this. You were on Fallon the other day. With Martin Scorsese. With Martin Scorsese. Didn't get to meet him. No. I was asking, no. I was wondering what the protocol is. You know what? I feel like he was ushered in, went on, and yeah. was like ushered out. Came and I want to be like, ah, excuse me, ah, excuse me. <laughs> you know, I, once again, too shy. I'm a very, I'm a nervous, shy person, so I didn't. Well, he knows that I, you spill the beans and he doesn't want to share his. I know all his secrets <laughs> with me. <laughs> Because that's what happens when you meet him, is immediately he tells you a terrible secret, and then it's on you to never tell anyone. He's the best, though. I know. Um, uh, Michael Mann, Martin Scorsese. King of Comedy. Great movie. Great movie. Sandra Bernhardt in that film? Amazing. Amazing. Jerry Lewis. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, top, top, okay, who are your other top filmmakers? We talked a little Michael, we're, we're going to Love very Michael classy. Mann. Yeah. Yeah. Love Manhunter. Love Heat. Yeah. Um, Who would you kill to get into a film of? Who's the director? Who's come on? Mm. You have that list. I'm sure you do. Paul Thomas Anderson? I mean, of course. Yeah. Magnolia is a yeah. next level. Um, I guess the list is too long. <laughs> <laughs> Your brain is actually imploding and melting. Yeah. Uh, the list is too long on that one. How about people who are dead? Okay. How about a, you know who I really love is an Ingmar Bergman. Nice. Who doesn't want to be depressed <laughs> in Scandinavia? Um, and let's go with an Agnes Varda, not dead. Wow, I, oh my God, you're, I, I, educate me. Check it out. Oh, do you like depressing movies? Sure. Okay, she made this film in the 80s called Vagabond, which is about this oh. girl this girl wandering around the um, French countryside. Okay. Um, and I don't think it's giving anything away to say that she fr freezes to death in a field. Oh. Um, mm. But I remember when I was, you know, in my real run of very depressing films, <laughs> at one point a director told me I should watch Vagabond, and I was like, oh, my God. That film's incredible. I feel like it's begging for a reboot, a Michael Bay reboot. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, she fights She fights aliens and, yeah. you know, sadly she, she sacrifices yeah. herself for, uh, Self -sacrifice. for humanity. There's an American flag blowing in the breeze at the sure. end. That can happen. Right? That can always happen. Have you ever gone up for a Michael Mann? Uh, not Michael Mann. Michael Bay film? I don't think I've ever auditioned for a Michael Bay film. Well, there's work to be done, Gilly. <laughs> Get on it, agents. What's uh, your excuse? Yeah. Is this how you communicate to your agents by a podcast? By a podcast. <laughs> they won't take my calls. <laughs> well, they got you or you got yourself two seasons of love. Look at that yes. segue to promote your that. wonderful well new done. show. I'm going to continue binging. Uh, it premieres February 19th. 19th February 19th. Yeah. Uh, go check it out, guys. And um, it's great to see you. It's you been as too well. long. Next time, I think we should do something stupid and fun and sketch wise. Great. It's a deal? Deal. Okay. Good to see you. You too.
Hey, Earwolf listeners, this is Hillary Frank from The Longest Shortest Time, where we ask the hard-hitting questions. What will happen if I don't have a shadow? What does the Tooth Fairy do with her tooth? Am I the real Batman? Who's Jesus' grandparents? John Willis, age three, bringing out the big guns. <laughs> I'm actually, like, rattled. The Longest Shortest Time. It's the parenting show for everyone. Listen at LongestShortestTime.com, Earwolf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been a Wolf Pop production. Executive produced by Paul Shear, Adam Sachs, Chris Bannon, and Matt Gorley. For more information and content, visit wolfpop.com.